everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metz, here along with me, as always, is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today, we got a loaded uh, episode for you guys. There's about four or five things of news we wanted to talk about and discuss, and then at the end of the episode, uh, Peter Baugh joins us from The Athletic. He covers the Colorado Avalanche, and we, we do 25 minutes or so on, uh, you know, just the Avalanche season, what's gone right for them so far, you know, just truly how dominant they've been and, and what to expect going forward. So that was a lot of fun, and, you know, that'll be at the end of the episode here, so st- stick stick around for that um but yeah it was actually a pretty busy news for or a busy week for news this week chase uh there's a lot of stuff to get into so let, let, we'll start from you know the first thing that happened i wrote it down just kind of as the week was going and uh the nhl changed the lottery rules and this is one of those things where i feel like for the listener it might have been more entertaining for them to listen when this, the day after this came out because i was pretty heated but um we'll, we'll get into it I'm, I'm just trying to pull up the uh new lottery rules now, but basically starting 2022, you can't win more than twice in five years, if I'm not mistaken. And you can't starting next year, you can't move up more than 10 spots. And they're now only drawing for the first two lotteries. So if you finish dead last, the highest you or the lowest you can pick is third. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this. I want to hear your thoughts first though. Um. Yeah, this is, I didn't really like weed super far into the new lottery talk. I just always get the vibe that the NHL doesn't understand probabilities when they do this. Cause they always set probabilities be like, look, there's a non-zero chance that some of these things can happen. And then the second these weird things do happen, people freak out. Yeah. It's good. So like, I, I'm going to rant here because I did obviously with my team in the, uh, in the lottery year after year, I, I did get into it. And also it's just stupid. But um, so beginning with the 2021 draft, only the first two picks will be subject to a lottery instead of the top three and no can, team can move up 10 picks. Starting 2022, no team will be able to win the draft lottery for either of the first two spots more than twice in a five-year span. Um, I, I don't know if that means like the Rangers can't win it. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know if it just it restarts after 2022 and then it's like, the 2021 winner could win at 2022 and 2023, but then they're done for five years. I really don't freaking know. Um, what I do know is that this is all, this is the stupidest thing for so many reasons. The, the first is being the whole point of the lottery is to erase tanking. But then when teams tank like the Detroit Red Wings, and don't get me wrong, the Detroit Red Wings tanked last year. They purposely came out and said, we are not going to be good this year. We're not even going to try to be good this year. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's smart and it's what the team should have done. But that is tanking. But because they were so bad, the league went, oh, well, there's no way they should be picking fourth. Why not? It's your system that you said you didn't want them to tank because this is exactly what you're trying to push against. And everyone looks at the 2015 Buffalo Sabres and 2015 Edmonton Oilers. It's like, well, yeah, that was the Sabres were the most aggressive thing. But it's not like the Detroit Red Wings were miles off what we saw from Detroit. Detroit or from Buffalo. Detroit sat everyone they could down who was even remotely injured. They sat them down last year if they had even a lick of talent. Yes, they didn't trade away quite everyone, but they were also actively playing Jimmy Howard, a dude who didn't have a win in like a calendar freaking year. Like, And it's it's this is tanking and this is exactly what you said you don't want and that's fine but if you're going to like if you're going to say no it's not fair that Detroit had to pick fourth which by the way some of the best players in the draft or up there with the best players in the draft have been picked fourth over the past like decade but if you're saying no 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 there's no way that people can be picked fourth in this draft like after that bad of a year why have the draft lottery at all you know yeah you could go to the NFL or it's just last place here's the first pick yeah, and they don't seem to have a problem with views. And, like, I, I get it. It's, like, it's a little different because there's only 16, well, now 17 NFL games to compared to 82. But, like, it's just one of those things where it's, like, 
don't go half in, half out. Either head the lottery because you don't want people to tank. And yeah, there's going to be times where Detroit sucks for three years in a row and they're just not going to win. Or if you're at least going to, you know what they could have done? Just fix the freaking probabilities. Because as you mentioned, it is on them the reason that a team and like, for some reason, they said it so that like the first five teams combined only had a 50% chance. You know what that means? From six to 14, there's a 50% chance one of those teams are going to get the first pick. Well, that's what happened. And then they were like, oh, shoot, we didn't think that the coin would flip on tails twice in a row. Like, how did the ninth place team win it twice? It's like, well, maybe because that's exactly how the odds are set up for them to win. Like, it's just like any anyone could have seen this with half the brain coming. And, you know, if if that's what it's going to be, fine. But it's like, don't go this stupid half in, half out. Or it's like, there's just so many better options to this. And it's just like, like if you really wanted to make it so it's, you, you swing it, you want a lottery, but you want to swing it so it's not guaranteed. Make it so the probabilities are like, I, I forget what I had written down. I think it was like 25%, 20, or maybe 2015, no, 25, 20, 15, 10 for like the first four teams or something like that. Like basically so between the first five or six teams, it's like an 85% chance they win. And then the next nine to 10 teams have like a 15% chance combined because then yes, once in a while, one of those teams are going to win, but it shouldn't be every year. Like we're seeing where just every year it's like a team moves up seven spots or whatever. Yeah. Cause the way they had them, like it wasn't just some outlier, like, so the new, like the New York Rangers, a team doing what they did was like a certainty. It was just a matter of when it just happened to happen really, really quickly. Right. And the other thing I didn't understand was where was the big cry to change the system? Like when Edmonton won their three straight or whatever, that was like a freak fluke with just pure luck or whatever. And there was a lot of cries to change it then. But like, are they trying to prevent the Rangers thing from happening? You know, like, what is the, what, what's it's, the cause? Exactly. It's just like, oh yeah, it's like this change screws your biggest market. It's like, I get it's not like, I don't know. Like people, the, the biggest cry was that Detroit was so bad last year and had to pick fourth. But again, like, just look at some of the fourth overall picks from past years. Some guy come to mind. Kale McCarr was fourth. Bowen Byron was fourth. Brady Kachuk was fourth. Mitch Marner was fourth. Like, there's like a Pedersen was on the board of four. Yeah, like yeah, like Pedersen won five, I think. But yeah, he was there at four. It's just like there's so many, like just good players that go at fourth. Where it's like it's not the end of the world. Like I, I really don't understand. And it, it just it's crazy to me that like. It just, it's it's such a piss off because if it's just like for some reason if it was like this is just how it's been for years but it didn't really make sense sure but it's like you made these probabilities like literally six years ago like not even I don't think it was like four years ago it's like how are you going back now you couldn't foresee this and it's like sure if you need to change it I guess but it's not like this new system makes any more sense yeah it doesn't make and because they don't like tanking but like in hockey the team with the best player is most likely to win and the best players disproportionately come from picks one and two and maybe like three. So like, as long as that's true, like you're just, you're going to have tanking basically no matter what you do, unless you just have equal odds for every team that misses the playoffs or something like absolutely ridiculous. But like there's the way hockey works, you're never going to get rid of it. No. And even with um, equal odds for everyone, what that would lead to is just anyone who's on the playoff bubble, they're guaranteed there'd be teams trying to lose because it's like, we're not trying to lose, but like, you know, there, there's probably a management team where it's like, if we're at 10th right now and, you know, maybe we could sneak in and get to eighth and get our doors blown off, or we stay outside of the lottery and we have a 15% chance at the first overall pick. It's like, well, 
maybe we won't buy at this year's deadline or anything like that. Right. But it's like, I just, I really don't get it. And like, if you made it so that the order went like, like, so here's the biggest problem really is that right now, the way the odds go, um, this is from last year, obviously with an extra team added in, I think it's even more aggressive because Seattle's there. Um, but last year, Detroit had an 18.5% chance at the first overall pick, you know, okay, well, Seems a little low, but whatever. Ottawa had 13.5 and 11.5 with the second and third picks. Um, so Ottawa had the second and third last pick, like literally the two worst, second and third worst teams in the league, and they still only had a 25% chance at picking first. Like that just, it seems so incredibly low. LA, 9.5. Anaheim, 8.5. New Jersey, 7.5, Buffalo, 6.5, and then it goes 6, 5, 3, 3.5, 3, 2.5, 2, 1.5, 1. Why are you giving the 10th worst team a 3.5% chance to win the lottery? Like, why are you giving the 8th worst team a 6%? Like, just make it so it'd be like Detroit had a 20, say, let's go 20, 17.5, 15, 12, 10. That would put you at 57, 67, 74 and a half percent between the first five teams. So then you have basically 25% to work with. So then there's a one in four chance that one of non-top five teams are winning the, the first overall pick. And that seems just so much more better, especially because like literally the, the 15th, 14th and 13th worst team should have like under 1% chance to win. That's just how it should be. But like, I just, I don't understand why the league feels the need to make it and just do what they do. Like, you know, I don't understand at all. Yeah, because like I said, like I just don't get where this change came from unless I'm just really not plugged in with this. But like I never really heard rumor like people talking about how this was necessary. This kind of just seemed like change for the sake of change. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed like change because one of their biggest franchise, Detroit, complained about it. But it's like, well, yeah, you screwed Detroit, but you also helped your literally biggest, if not second biggest franchise in the league in the Rangers twice. So I don't know. I, I really don't get it. I think it's. I think it's stupid, but I, that's just kind of what the league does. Um, let's get into another just kind of stupid thing. Uh, Tim Peel gets fired. So he gets caught on a hot mic, and I'm sure most people have seen this by now, but if you haven't, I think it was Nashville, Detroit. He gets caught on a hot mic uh, as they're going to a commercial break, pretty much saying, um, yeah, that wasn't a penalty, but I wanted to get one early on Nashville, basically admitting he's trying to control the game and just, you know, he called not an absolute nothing call. Um there was a lot of outrage on the, about this online. I honestly was not expecting it to go anywhere, but the next day they come out and say, Tim Peel's not doing any more games. Um, this becomes more understandable when he found out that he was retiring in under 30 days anyway. So he probably would have had 10 to 15, not even like 10 to 12 games probably left to do. Um, and it's more of just a cover up now, I would say than anything else. But um, I was a little surprised they fired him. I don't think it actually, they didn't really fire him. He's still getting his pension and everything. He's just not doing games for the rest of the year. Um, that being said, this has led to a lot of discussion about, you know, game management and stuff like that. Um, let's get into it, this as well. So what were your reactions to when, you know, it happened, it came out, when it came out that he got fired, and, you know, what are your reactions and just opinion on it now? Yeah, so I went through the classic uh, roller coaster of emotions that everybody did. It came out, I saw it on Twitter, I started laughing, I thought it was hilarious, can't wait for the NHL to do nothing about it, then realized he got fired saw the press release went holy shit i can't believe they just did something about it and then you see all the information that he was retiring the month anyways and it didn't really matter yeah and that's basically what it is and 
uh, you know, there's no actual changes going to come from this. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, um, I, I do, like, I think he needed to get fired or, you know, I mean, let go or whatever you want. There's no way you can just have a, a ref openly admitting that they manage the game, even if it's the worst kept secret in the world. There's no way you can have tangible proof of that on video and not let him go. Because, you know, as much as we say it's the worst kept secret in the world, we don't have actual, like, proof of a ref saying it until now. Right. And, you know, you talk to any ref, I'm sure just casually and they'd be like, Oh yeah. Like everyone wants you to the game, game management. But the thing is it's a hockey issue too. It's not a refing issue. Don't get me wrong. It is like the refs are the one who control it, but um, everyone complains about, you know, the, the game management sometimes until it happens against their team. You know, like if your team suddenly takes seven penalties and only draws two in a game, you don't go, wow, our team got outplayed and just, took a bunch of sloppy penalties you go those refs screwed us what homers those guys were and that's just that happens at all level of hockey and it's something that if we want actual change that kind of thinking needs to change oh 100 percent. and down goes brown brought this up on puck soup and it made me laugh because i was watching a john boys video and they were t- he down, down goes brown brought up that point that you did and i was watching a john boys video about the kansas city chiefs and they took a bunch of penalties so they in a game so they fired their head coach because that's how it's looked at in football like an undisciplined team is like a coaching failure well that's like one thing that bill belichick's famous for is like he always has really really disciplined teams whereas in hockey it's just like it's just absolutely not looked at that way yeah absolutely like you just look at the two sports like in the in you know football there's obviously the the problem with football is you know lately there's the obvious like pass interference call that goes on call but in football they'll flash all the time that like this one team has 11 holding calls to two on the other side and the penalty yards are like 160 to 20 is the difference and it's not you looked at as the refs freaking suck at their job I mean sometimes it is but usually it's not looked at like that it's like wow what if the refs are screwing this team it's looked at as if this team is just really sloppy and undisciplined as the way it should be. Whereas in hockey, there's been a lot of speculation that a team like Tampa Bay plays aggressive, knowing that they're not going to get a third penalty in a row or whatever. And when they're skilled and can play aggressive like that, it gives them a significant advantage just because they're not playing by the rule book, which is the stupidest thing in the world. Yeah. But it's, they've set the incentives so that even if it's, Tampa it's smart not, for the team to do it, don't get me wrong. Yeah, even if Tampa Bay's not like explicitly doing it, like it's smart to have a Blake Coleman type when you have one of the best power plays in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I don't know if you saw the Jack Edwards clip from last night, but um, one of the Boston Bruins guys got tripped on a power play. It was, it was funny. Jack Edwards cried more about it than he absolutely ever should have because it was almost like a borderline dive, borderline trip. But uh, he was like literally like almost in tears on the broadcast that they didn't call it. I was like, oh my God. But it is that kind of thing where it's like, you'll see literally a team took two power plays in a row and then you just, they go out there knowing they're probably not going to get a third. So they just start mauling people. It's like, well, this shouldn't be allowed either. If, if you're going to go out and not play against the rules, you should just get as many penalties called on you as you know, possible, right? Like, Oh, hundred percent. And everybody's ever played at like a low level. Like you can just feel it when you've taken like, uh, I think they brought this up on the SDP where it was like, if you kill off two penalties in a row, it's such a relief in part because you killed off two penalties, but also in part because you know exactly who the next one's going against. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, as soon as that penalty gets killed, you know, you skate by the raft and you go, you always won here now. Like, and it's just like, and, and that is like it when, like when we played hockey it was the exact same way. If, if one of our teams took three penalties in a row, it'd be like, this ref's absolutely screwing us. But in reality, it's like, no, we just suck. And our team took like four hooking penalties, you know, like, it, and that's exactly how it should be, but it's not for whatever reason. And, you know, until that changes, 
I just don't understand. And, you know, you want to get in the gambling aspect of it, which we can too. But my, my last point on this was basically just that people go, oh, well, if they call the whole rule book, there'll be a million penalties because there's a slash on every play. It's like, yes, there will be a million penalties for about three weeks. And then the best players in the best league in the world will realize, oh, shoot, we can't actually do this anymore. And they will adapt just like they have coming out of every lockout in 05, 06. It was the exact same way. There was a billion power plays to start the year. But guess what? They stopped the little slashes and stuff like that. You know, in the, the 2013 lockout coming out of that, they, they enforced that slash on the hand that got called every time. Guess what? You see a lot less of those now. And it gets called, but you know, the, the problem is on both of those lockouts, they stopped enforcing it. And then it just got way worse. You know, like uh, the 06 one was a lot of the interference stuff. Sorry, not the, um, not slashing, but more of the just hooking and dragging onto a guy, which was a problem in the early late nineties, early two thousands. But again, that stopped. And now it's like, you don't see it quite as much, but at the same time, it's like, it still probably doesn't get called as much as it should. If you call the rule book, yeah, it's going to be a gross adjustment period period for about two to three, maybe four weeks. But after that four weeks, if players are still doing it, it's only going to be one side. And that team's got to realize real quick, hey, we got to stop doing this or they're going to get killed. Exactly. Because so pretty much nobody will be familiar with the story. But when Alex and I were pretty young, uh, we'll, or the minor hockey system we played in made a change so that um head contact was a penalty. So like even if it was like a shoulder to shoulder hit, but there was like any follow through where you hit head it became it was a two minute minor or it could scale up obviously for the more extreme ones and what happened was for the first for the preseason and first couple weeks there was like 11 penalty games on like a side because people weren't used to it whatever and as these like 11 year old kids adapted all of a sudden hockey's back to normal at these levels with these rules and I promise you if the 11 year olds can do it the professionals can also figure it out yeah, absolutely. And it's just like, and that's honestly a rule. I don't, I can't believe they don't have the NHL yet. Like I get people don't want to see it, but it's gotta be like, it just, it's such an easy rule where it's like any head contact is two minutes. If it's purposeful, it's four. And you know, if you're trying to injure the guy, it's five. Right. So it's like, basically the rule would go, if you hit a dude in the shoulder and then your elbow slid up after and dome the dude in the head, that's at least two minutes. If it's just straight to the head where he didn't get any shoulder, it's probably going to be four minutes. Or if you just like punch a dude in the head intentionally, obviously. Um, and if it's you're clearly trying to injure a dude, it's five in a game or five and three or whatever. And like that's the kind of stuff that's like if you just bring that in and put those changes in, obviously that's a whole rule change. But if you just call the rule book for the NHL like you would, it's like, yeah, you wouldn't see guys absolutely just destroying dudes head first into the boards from behind. Like if you call that as it should be where you get kick them out of the game, it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. And it, it will at first, you'll have games that are like yes, almost obviously. special teams, but the, they'll learn like these guys are professionals because they're better than everyone else at what they do. They will figure out how to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, uh, gambling was the other area you wanted to go on that. Uh, explain that yeah, to me. I saw this get brought up on both Puck Soup and the SDP and people, and they were talking that, um, the NHL is making a big push to get more involved with gambling companies. And there was this underlying assumption that being partnered with gambling companies will help get rid of this makeup calls. And part of the theory by the sounds of it is like, oh, well, if you get rid of makeup calls, it'll make the games more predictable. But so from my experience with online poker, which is a game of mostly luck in the short run and mostly skill in the long run, just like sports betting is, um, the online poker companies spend a lot of resources 
putting time and effort into the most luck-based game modes where the casuals have a better chance of winning. So I just want anybody who listened to those podcasts to know with pretty much near certainty that if poker can be any lesson, which I think it's pretty good in analog, the online gambling companies are not going to be the savior here. They don't want the people who know how to forecast the expected value of teams' penalty differentials to have a larger edge than they already do. They want Joe who wants to sit down and put 20 bucks on the game because he has 60K a year and he can afford to throw 20 bucks on the game. They want him to have a 43% of chance of making profit as opposed to a 41% chance of profit because when the casuals make money, the higher edge or the less money they're losing, that's better for the gambling companies. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it, it's a double-edged sword in that, yes, more luck means that the the, the casino or whatever is uh, obviously risk more, you know, losing a little more too, but it's, it's higher because, you know, there's a lot less people who are using expected goals models or whatever to get the edge where when they have the edge, they're going to be earning more money off of the casino if the game's less lucky versus the casino is going to be taking Joe's money or whatever, just, you know, when he's sitting on the couch betting 20 bucks, if the game's more random. And I, yeah, I, I don't think, I think the betting thing is way overdone. I also think that betting markets and, you know, people who set these lines probably also have a ton of data that would help them predict, you know, exactly who's more or less likely to get a penalty. If it's way easier to predict who has the penalties, you know, like, because that's the other thing, if the rule books gets called, it's not like the Tampa Bay Lightning and Edmonton Oilers are just going to be getting seven more power plays than everyone every single night. Like it, it will happen some nights, but there are going to be other nights where it's like Tampa's on a back-to-back and just playing stupid sloppy hockey and they have the penalty kill five more times. Not like that helps the casino at all either. Yeah, exactly. And it'll, it'll jack up. Um, yeah, like I, it, it won't be as simple as a lot of people are making this out to be. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's a good point that it is probably a lot overblown just be like how much they probably care about this. Now, I the one thing I think is is a fair point is that if you're a casino, you can't have the refs openly saying, I just yeah, I just want to call power play to call power play because let's say a goal gets scored and that eliminates the spread. You're going to have some angry people who are like, well, I want my bet refund. It was clear that the, you know, the refs were out to get this team from the get-go and Again, like I'm sure it probably wouldn't like the casino go screw yourself, but uh, you know, it's just more of a headache than you need. So that's where it's like, I do understand that they probably don't want refs openly admitting on the mic that uh, yeah, I just called a penalty that absolutely was not a penalty because I felt like it, but I I don't think that they care about the rule book as much as maybe just, you know, uh, we would, or just, you know, even a casual fan would. A hundred percent. And you don't need um, pinnacle to be partnered with you to not want refs saying the quiet part out loud there. So that's almost like a null point because the NHL doesn't want that either. So it's not like anything's going to change now that they're involved with betting companies. Yeah, exactly. Um, and two other things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And just um, the other thing was these two podcasts are really that I heard it on. were really famous for making fun of the NHL for how small it is to the other leagues. And then turned around and said this about the gambling companies that they would care so much, but like, Pinnacle probably doesn't care that much about the NHL. Like there are 248 available esports bets to be placed on Pinnacle right now and 53 on hockey. And only like 30 of those are on the NHL. Like these companies are like multi, multi billion dollar corporations minus the straight up embarrassments like the Tim Peel stuff. They probably don't care about the NHL that much. Not nearly as much as the other big league. Like I'm pretty sure it's one football playoff game gets more money thrown on it than every single hockey game combined for the, every, the year. 
like oh i would think so and you just look like if you listen to some of the pff podcasts like you can bet on who's getting picked sixth overall in the nfl draft like a month and a half out like the not enough people care about the nhl to do that yeah you can put you can do things like how many wide receivers are going to be taken by pick eight in the nfl like just like just weirdly niche bread bets and you know the nhl they have a little more on pinnacle when you go into the game they have game props player props and stuff like that as well but like yeah it's definitely not just like when it's like esports has just as much if not you know way more to bet about and some of that's just there's a ton of esports out there it's, there's only you know so many hockey leagues but at the same time it's like when there's just so much to bet about it's like yeah no it definitely makes sense that uh um you know why they probably don't care as much you know like it just is one it's one of those things where it's like um yeah you can't joke about you know how small the nhl is but then say oh yeah but these betting companies are going to care a ton about it it's like well no like they're obviously not going to be pleased, but again, your league shouldn't be pleased that a ref is coming out and saying, I just gave the penalty anyways. Like the betting companies probably don't care that one game got uh, thrown in the trash because the, you know, their one team should have got four more power plays. They're not losing money off of that. And if they are, it's a very insignificant amount. Exactly. Cause we're basically nothing to them. These are multi-billion dollar companies. Yeah. So, um, Two other things to talk about this week. Uh, you got the uh, Montreal Canadiens. A couple of things to talk about with them. One, they had the first real COVID outbreak in the North Division. Uh, caused them to delay, I believe, three games now, which has led to 13 games being rescheduled. Uh, the bulk of those in the North Division, uh, they have, I think, maybe it's four games that actually got canceled. Two against the Oilers that have been scheduled and two against the Senators. The league has now had to push the regular season back about three days to May 10th is the final day now. It was May 8th. They had the buffer built in there. They were hoping not to use it, but um, they had to, and who knows when, you know, God forbid, like hopefully we don't get another outbreak, but there's obviously still the possibility another team anywhere in any division gets an outbreak. Um, so we'll see how that affects things. Uh, Montreal has a really weird standing uh, uh, schedule now. They have 17 games in 30 days in April. Um, if you want to know how condensed that schedule is going to be for them. Um, and, and just looking at the division, uh, here's the list of games played in the North Division. 34, 35, 35, 36, 37, 36, 31. And I don't think Montreal is going to be playing until Thursday or Friday again. So I think it's Thursday against Ottawa. So, like, there's a legitimate chance that most teams are at, like, 36 or 37 games played by the time they even hit 32. And so they, they just have a lot of games to make up, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, it's going to be tough. You, we even speculated with, Jeff, like this was forever ago that they were going to have to use that buffer period. I'm a little surprised it actually took until now because it seemed like that was a, a certainty that they were going to need that buffer. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's a couple of teams. Like, I think Dallas has just as disgusting of an April. They they got. I don't want to see lucky. Obviously, there's no there's nothing good about getting COVID at, at any time, right? But um, they almost got you know lucky that a lot of their really big outbreaks kind of happened a month and a month and a half into the season and not like like right now, like, and I think we're almost at the point now where there's so many hockey players that have had COVID at one point where it's like, not that you can't get it again, but there's a lot less of a risk. I think of some on some of these teams of a massive outbreak happening, like Tampa, the whole team got it before they went into the bubble last year. Right. Like, um, you know, Florida's headed, it feels like their whole team's headed. Dallas has been shut down for it. I think, um, you know, there's, there's been like a handful of other teams and now, you know, vaccines are coming out as well. Like, NBA players are getting vaccinated in the States just because they're vaccinating like millions of people a day. Um, so, you know, it's not, I bet you it's probably by June, they will have all the 
athletes who want to take it and who knows how many hockey players that'll be, but you would hope it's at least over 50% of the league vaccinated, you know, vaccinated from the States. And, you know, that's when you, you know, you're only going to have to dip into the pool a little bit and, and get the playoffs going right around where you wanted them just a couple of days late. Yeah. And that'll be, it'll be nice to see if all the players get vaccinated because as much as everybody cries wolf that the players get prioritized over a lot of normal people, they're also at way higher risks than the vast majority of individuals. Yep. And it's not like they're getting uh, vaccinations over just, you know, like the States are just way ahead of where Canada is right now. Like you could walk to like a Seven Eleven, they could probably be handing out a vaccination there. They just have so many of them. So it's, yeah. it's not like it's, it's not like they're just completely skipping the lines. Like, no, this is just kind of where they are at the rate right now. It's like people that age, their age can go get one. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're saying, no, doctors, you can't have a vaccine. Steven Stamkos needs one. Exactly. It's, it's, they're, they're just like naturally getting to the point where they're in line. Like I know, I think it's three full NBA teams. About, like I think the Pelicans have been vaccinated now. They went and, and the Hawks maybe played a game and just went and got vaccinated after. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and there are also um, external benefits to vaccinating famous people like LeBron James because yep. not – I don't want to say not like there's there's a large enough contingent of people that don't want to get vaccinated and seeing famous people like the LeBron Jameses and the Sidney Crosby's of the world actually get vaccinated may encourage other people to get vaccinated, too, that wouldn't otherwise. And that's good for society. I can guarantee you there's probably one person for even just like the most niche fourth starter on a basketball team where it's like if they get vaccinated, be like, yeah, I got vaccinated. You should, too. They're going to have some super fan out there that'll be like. I wasn't going to before, but if he's okay with it, I guess I'll be okay with it, you know? And like, it, it definitely, obviously it's more aggressive when you can get celebrities, you know, in on it and, you know, promoting it because the people will be like, oh, okay, if they're doing it, it must be okay. But yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, uh, um, it, there is benefit to having pe- known people do it. And it's why they've asked, you know, um, in Canada here, one of the biggest problems um, has been on the reserves getting, you know, natives to to do it right. And, and fairly so just, you know, the way they've been treated in the past, but they've had, you know, a couple of their chiefs or just even leaders and in higher spots go and get vaccinated to try and show that it, you know, it's a good thing and, and you should be doing it. Right. And it's the same kind of idea for just the public as well. Yeah, exactly. Like anyone with a following, like if we get it, it doesn't really change anybody else's probability of getting it. Whereas some of these guys can actually change probably like tens of people's minds, which is a very good thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, other thing with the Habs, they actually made a trade. We have we have a trade to announce. Uh, we haven't not talked about the Sabers uh, as much as maybe a couple other people in the past week or two because it feels like me and you talked about them every week for like like four weeks just in a row about how shoot uh, how, how freaking bad they are. Like they've lost seventeen damn games in a row now. They're oh nine and one in their last ten. Um, it just it's just a disgustingly bad team. They're on pace to probably be the worst team I've ever seen. Like they have 16 points, 33 games into the year. Thank God for them. It's a 56 game year and not a, um, uh, an 82 game year, but uh, they trade Eric Stahl to the Montreal Canadians for, I believe it was a third and a fifth. Um, Eric Stahl, I think had four points total this year, but he's been playing pretty well, you know, for, especially for being in Buffalo, his underlying numbers don't look too bad. I don't think he's as washed as maybe, you know, people are trying to make it out to be. I think it's more of just a Buffalo has no talent thing. And uh, I, I don't mind this pickup. I, To me, it's pretty clear that Montreal thinks that this is kind of their best year to go and do anything, which I don't disagree with, but they're very clearly still not the top team in their division. But, um, you know, this at least at the very least helps them shore up their center depth a little bit. Yeah, the Canadians got 
a guy who can still drive play, but the, the finishing ability is questionable, which will always be funny to me if they keep doing this. But uh, yeah, I think Stahl's a good enough pickup. And it's not like they really mortgaged the future getting Stahl or whatever. Like, I don't hate the idea of looking at the Flames roster being like, or the Canadians roster being like, well, we're good enough. We're almost certainly going to make the playoffs. Let's add one piece that might be able to help us for a small cost. And if nothing comes of it, it's a third and a fifth round pick. Yeah, Stahl ranked uh, third among Sabres forwards in Corsi 4 percentage and fifth among expected goals. There's only five forwards who ranked uh, above 50% in Corsi 4 and four above 50% in expected goals. Stahl ranks 49.85% expected goals rate right now. Um, it's unsurprisingly Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, Sam Reinhardt, Jeff Skinner, and Eric Stahl is the only five forwards that are even remotely above 50% or at or above 50%. Middlestead's just short of it for Corsi 4 and I think is and expected goals. So um, yeah, I, I think it's an okay pickup. I, I really don't mind it. And the other thing too is, um, you know, obviously, obviously anyone who's listened to this podcast for a lot while knows I'm quite okay with just taking a bunch of picks, but Montreal had 14 picks in this upcoming draft and still has two seconds, two thirds, three fourths, two fifths, and sixth and a seventh. And they got rid of their own third and own fifth and have, Chicago's third and Ottawa's fifth. So it's like, they're not even giving up the top picks they have in this round. They also have Philly's fifth as well. So, um, you know, I, I really don't mind it at all. Um, again, I mean, it makes, we were, we thought this team was pretty good and it's kind of the same thing where it's like, I, I think this is a good team. I think they will give whoever they play in the first round, a little bit of trouble here. Like I, I don't, I don't think they're going to be a pushover in round one by any means. And, you know, Eric Stahl's just kind of a, another addition to that, you know, where it's like, he's not a game breaker by any means, but uh, that at least helps you. And now you're not asking so much out of Suzuki or, and Cockney either. Yeah, exactly. And maybe someone goes down with an injury or whatever, Stahl's still a capable player. It's a perfect time to buy a guy when him and all of his line mates are underperforming their shooting talent. You probably get them undervalued, but um, like say this team makes the playoffs and they're playing Edmonton in the first round. Or is, is that what it's lined up? I think no. it's Toronto right now, but. Okay, never mind. See, I was going to say, would they be favored over the Jets or the Oilers if they played them? But they look pretty locked in to play Toronto, so never mind. You would think so. I mean, Toronto could still slip too. I mean, not like I don't think they will, but, you know, Toronto's only two points ahead of uh, Winnipeg and three ahead of Edmonton. If um, Jack Campbell goes down with an injury and they're relying on whoever the hell their third goalie is right now. You know, it's, not like, it's not like Toronto is uh, invincible in fourth. And uh, the thing is, too, Montreal's at 37 points, which is six behind Edmonton. They have four games in hand, and they have five. They're two points ahead of Calgary and have five games in hand on Calgary. Some of that, again, is that they're going to have to play a bunch. But, yeah, like, if they go into a series against the Jets or Oilers, I think it's probably pretty close to 50%. Especially because they'll probably be on the road the way things are, but doesn't look like home ice a big deal. So this will be no. as close to, like, a neutral – Ranked yeah, yeah, home ice. I don't think home ice in the in the Canadian division is going to mean much at all. You know, like maybe maybe if you're playing a Western team, it'll mean a little more if it's just like you don't have to go travel out west in the time zone change right away. But like that's I think a small enough thing for the state. Like I wouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah, it's not like a huge deal. But yeah, I can see their group of skaters being favored over all but one of their matchups, and it doesn't it like funny. they're what. It is funny to me that they have more overtime losses than regulation losses right now. That is wild. And you can look at that two ways, I think, too, where it's like they've probably been unlucky a little bit, where it's like on a normal year, it'd be closer to like 17, 8, and 6 or whatever. So there's a couple extra points. But you could also look at it as they've been lucky enough to get into overtime nine extra times too, right? Like, Yeah, because 
usually a team like that would be expected to have above 500 overtime. Uh, although they, they are, they don't really have the high quality players to put out there in three on three, but like still it's pretty random. And not only are they not, do they not have it. Ducharme's been putting out like Joel Armia to start three on three to try and get possession right away. And uh Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I, I don't. I don't think that's the smartest thing to do. It was like I think it was like Dano or, or no, it was maybe it was Armia Lekkinen and Edmondson or something. Was like starting three in overtime, scored on right away. It was like yeah, that that seems pretty accurate. But um, no, I, I think it's really interesting with the Canadians. See what they do. I, I don't mind the pickup at all for Buffalo. You just kind of gotta be selling as many assets as you can. You know, like um, we talked about this already. Anyone who's got an expiring contract should go. If you can get a good deal on anyone without an expiring contract, send them as well. I really don't care, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the depth picks, like from what I understand, the top of this draft is far, far weaker than usual. And plus there's already huge informational disadvantages for everyone. So even getting a third and a fifth, those are probably undervalued picks to begin with, and they're probably going to be better than in a normal year, anyways. So that yeah, that's what I was going to say. The disadvantage, or the the information, the lack of information is going to make this really even more of a crapshoot than it already is. And I can guarantee, like, well, I can't guarantee, obviously, but I would not be shocked if in you know four years from now we're we're looking and it's like, why were there just so many random great players that fell like rounds two, three, four, and five of this draft? And you know. Um, but oddly enough, Buffalo didn't have their own third or fifth this year. They traded them both away. Um, so they are at least up to eight picks now. They have an extra sixth. They have their own first, their own second, Montreal's third, their own fourth, Montreal's fifth, uh, two sixths, and then a seventh. So yeah, I forgot they, they need to keep adding. God, what yeah, a terrible team. Yeah, like it's just it's one of those things where it's like you, they really need to keep adding. And it's like – and you look at the, the, the worst part is like, you look at what they use, like they use the third 2021 third round pick to acquire Jimmy VC. It's like, great. <laughs> like, oh, what a beautiful organization. They, they use the fifth round pick. And again, like, it's not like it means too much, but they use the fifth round pick to uh, acquire Wayne Simmons at 50% retained last year. And they that was so obviously such a stupid trade. Like it was a yeah. fifth how dumb it can be is capped because a fifth isn't that valuable, but for the, like everyone knew that was a meaningless pickup. Yeah. It was like, Oh, we want to change the culture. It's like, yeah, hey, you've done a great job of that. Good job. Like really, really good stuff. Like yeah, what? And the other thing that irritates me when people say that or be like, Oh, we're trying to send a message to the room or whatever. Like on the one hand, maybe people like stats, people do tend to undervalue that. But on the other, your job as a general manager is to like maximize the team's win totals and talent not cater to dudes in the room yeah exactly it's like, i don't think it definitely does play a like a, a, an effect but also like when you have a culture so bad as the buffaloes we've just been discussing that many years what's one dude gonna change it yeah. why are you, what, why are you like what you're 26th in the league when you make that pickup what is he gonna do that could possibly change it yeah, exactly. And the fact that people just talk about the culture, like that would mean something in Buffalo, like nine games of Wayne Simmons, like what well, much good the culture's done for you recently. Like at yeah. least for like, oh, the New England Patriots are able to get more out of people because of their culture. It's like, well, that's probably not true, but like they've been so successful that God, maybe it means something. But so many hockey organizations like the Buffalo Sabres say stuff like that. It's like, what good is your culture going to do? Why do why should we have any faith in this? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and even with the Patriots, like, yeah, like maybe there is a little bit more of a buy-in from guys who like 
have an attitude issue or whatever, or it's like, even like I can kind of get by, I think the Toronto tiny, like Toronto overpay, I probably wouldn't have given my seconds in a row, but you know, like the idea of back in 2016, when Toronto was, you know, for the first time ever, like their young guys were just going, they were making a playoff push and Lou Limarello went out and rewarded them by spending a second on, um, it was a right. Brian Boyle, I think. Right. And then it was Placanis the next year, that kind of idea. I can at least get behind where it's like, Oh, yeah, you guys have had a successful season. We're going to show you that we want to help your team out by going and acquiring an asset or whatever. You can't like you're, the team's 26th. What are you doing? You're not helping them. Like it's like, Oh, great job guys. We're not last in the league. You're we're only fifth last. Here you go. Here's Wayne Simmons for a couple of games. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like what is this guy like magic or so? Is he like the Wolf of Wall Street level public speaking that he's going to change something in nine games? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it just it doesn't make much sense to me, but that's kind of why they are where they are, right? So, um, only other thing I want to touch on well, there's one thing real quick. We don't really need to talk about this, but um, have you looked at the Central Division standing slash goal differential lately? It is freaking hilarious. The, the standings go Lightning 50 points, Hurricanes 49 points, Panthers 48 points. Goal differential plus 41, plus 28, plus 17. In a playoff spot right now is the Nashville Predators 37 points, which is uh, 11 behind the Panthers, minus 15 goal differential. Blackhawks, they're at 37 points, minus 10 goal differential. Blue Jackets, 34 points, minus 26. The Dallas Stars, who have played about four games less than everyone, are at 31 points and have a plus one goal differential with a record of 11 wins, 12 losses, and nine overtime losses. Uh, that has got to be the most amazing stat line. And then Detroit's got 28 points, minus 36 goal differential. Um, I have no analysis on that. It was just, I laughed when I saw it. I think it's awesome that the Predators have now apparently talked themselves into not selling. Not selling. Yeah, yeah, the big 18, 17, and one record with a minus 15 goal differential because they've gone seven and three in their past and won five in a row. And now they're not sellers for whatever reason. Yeah. And it's my favorite when, like, if you look at all their five on five metrics, like their expected goal differential and stuff, like it's obvious. Plus their shooting talent. It's obvious they're not a great team with any competitive, like they're not a competitive team and they would benefit from selling. But when it's just like you're getting outscored, like this should be obvious to you. Been outscored by 15 goals this year. That's brutal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just like, boy, it's just like, what is like, like what's the ceiling for this team? You sneak in the playoffs and get absolutely murdered by the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one? Congratulations. Like, yeah, because like they're they're not as bad as the early season show. Like they're like probably vaguely close to an average-ish team or whatever. But like I had them fourth in this division. Like, but I had them getting destroyed in round one. Like I had them a clear tier behind the Lightning and Hurricanes. You know? Yeah, like they're in the worst spot to be. Where it's like, congratulations, you're probably average. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like you're not bad enough to get a high yeah. pick, but you're not good enough to even come close to doing anything in the playoffs. It's like good. Yeah. Like that's the worst and, spot to be in hockey. Exactly. And Nashville should know a thing or two about like you need the stars. Yeah. And they have not had them for forever. Exactly. Well, um, I was going to get into Philly maybe this episode too, but I think where you're running, you know, running over well, close to an hour 10 here. What I did want to say was that Cutter Hart has been healthy scratched today and Wednesday. Focus the next few days and we'll be practicing and working hard on his game. Elin Vigneault said he needs to work harder. He needs to work better. I've had a good conversation with him and Kim about my expectations about his practice habits and him stopping the puck. So it looks like he's just going to be working with their goaltending coach for the next couple of days, but healthy scratch as he has been brutal for the past couple of years, a uh, couple well, this year, really, but he's put up um, 
you know, the, the Rangers put up a nine spot on the Flyers a couple of weeks ago, and then I think an eight spot on them this past week. It has been ugly for Philadelphia. Yeah, that's insane. In five on five save percentage, they're a percent and a half behind the Senators for dead last. Yep. And it's funny because that division was one we were always like, everyone's like, oh, the Bruins are going to steamroll it. The Bruins have dealt with a lot of injuries, but they are, they, they're clean. If it wasn't a Philly actively getting in their own way, the Boston would not be in a playoff spot right now. They're seven points behind the Penguins in third. And it's kind of, it's the classic. I had the Capitals first, just because I said, for some, whatever reason, the Capitals just win their division. And that's what it looks like. They're going to be close to doing again this year too. Yeah. No team is as good at winning regular season divisions as the Washington Capitals. Yeah. They're nine, one and zero in their last 10 sit at top right now, 50 points in 34 games. The Islanders are 48 and 35. The Penguins have turned it on lately too. 46, uh, seven, two and one, their last 10. 46 points in 35 games. It's always funny to me. Um, so the one thing we'll get out of this, we'll get out of here after this, but the one thing with this year that's coming really obvious is you can tell um, just by looking at the schedule, who, when the division lines up so that the good teams in the division are playing the bad teams, because all the top teams in the division have like, are like eight, two and oh, in their last 10. And then the the bad teams are all like one, seven and oh, or whatever, like in the West division, seven, three and oh, eight, oh, and two, eight, two and oh, in their last 10 at the bottom, three, seven, oh, four, five and one, four, five and one, two, five and three in the North division. It's a little different because Toronto has been four, six and oh, but um, East division, nine, one and oh, seven, three and oh, seven, two and one Sabres, oh, nine and one. And then you have a couple 500 teams and three, six and one, the flyers at the bottom. It's like, it's so obvious to see when the lightning and hurricanes are not playing each other, but rather like the red wings and blue jackets, four games in a row. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm really excited when this rolls over to next year, how like we're going to be way over and underconfident about certain teams, just because of the way these divisions matchups work out. Yeah, absolutely. I should point out this. I didn't realize this at first, but uh, Cutter Hart's being scratched for the two games. They're both against Buffalo, so it almost doesn't count. Um, (laughs) I would be uh, not shocked even a little bit if uh, Philly still comes out 2-0 against those games. So I I feel like their opponent probably has more to do with him getting benched for two games here than, you know, anything else. But still, uh, they really need him to be better because he has been atrocious this year. Yeah, if there's a time to do it, it's definitely against the 17-game losing streak Buffalo Sabres. Although, I, it's hopefully he figures this out because this is wild. There's a lot of people talking about how he was ready to take, like, the next step into being, like, this elite goalie. And, wow, worst in the entire league is not what I saw coming. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, like, people are talking about he, he's going to be, like, the next Carey Price now in terms of just, like, the face of the goaltending for Canada. And it's like, no, he is just, like, actively miserable right now. Like, and... I, I feel like he should bounce back. Like there's nothing to suggest that he should have ever been this bad. You know, like even his past NHL success has been a mix of like, it hasn't been great, but he has not been like bad by any means either. And he's just been like absolutely brutal this year. Yeah. He's been like just actively horrible. Yeah. Like the worst so, goalie in the entire league on a per yeah, shot basis and an overall basis. Literally. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would assume he would bounce back a little, at least somewhat, but it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Uh, enjoy the interview. Joining us now, he is a beat uh, beat writer covering the Colorado Avalanche for the athletic Peter Bob. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, figure this would be a great time, you know, get someone on and, and talk about, uh, you know, we want to get a guest on for a couple of weeks here, but we weren't sure exactly what team and, um, you know, I, I was looking at the standings. I figured what better team than the Colorado Avalanche, which uh, 
I, I feel like they're not getting maybe talked about enough, at least from where Chase and I are, you know, we're in Canada. So the whole, the whole focus is always on the North division, but uh, the avalanche are eight Oh and two in their last 10 and somehow still technically not first in their division. Uh, the wild are eight, two and Oh, and third, they're right behind them. And, and the golden Knights are seven, three and Oh as well. But uh, this avalanche team has just been dominating this year at five on five. And I feel like a lot of people maybe don't realize that as much as possible. So I want to give them some love and kind of talk about their season because uh, their season hasn't been without, uh, without its difficulties. They've been one of the most injured teams in the league. I uh, want to just run us through, you know, how they've managed to overcome so many man games lost injury. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting year. They came in with such high expectations where a lot of people were picking them to win the Stanley Cup. And they said they had players on the team saying like anything short of that as a disappointment. Like they really that's really their goal for this season. And they see this as a championship window. Um, but yeah, they got off to not necessarily a slow start, but a slower than expected start where they were especially they were three and three through the first six games and maybe didn't look as dominant as people expected, weren't getting great puck luck. And then a bunch of guys were injured. There was a point where Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon were both out as well as they've been, they've spent almost the entire season without Eric Johnson who's an assistant captain. Um, there were some COVID difficulties that caused the likes of Gabriel Landeskog and Samuel Gerrard to miss games, Bowen Byram's missed time. So yeah, up and down the lineup, there have been a lot of, a lot of injuries where they've had to kind of rely on some AHL depth to come in and, and help them out. Um, but lately, as you mentioned, they've been, they've kind of gotten close to healthy. They're really playing at a high level, limiting shots um, while also kind of putting the puck on net a lot and kind of starting to find a little more, more luck that way, getting a few bounces here and there. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, you know, if people want, you know, just how injured they've been, I was looking through it on natural stat trick today and, I was curious to see how many players they had actually used in 33 games already this year. They've used 12 dis different defensemen at least once in the, the lineup and 17 different forwards. So, um, you know, there's zero defensemen who have played in all 33 games and just one, I, I think it's three forwards maybe who have played in all 33 games uh, up front. And um, then a bunch of guys who have missed a handful here and there and a lot of have just missed a ton of time. So it's been difficult, but despite that, you know, they're still controlling play, as you mentioned, 58% Corsi 4 percentage. Um, their expected goals rate is, I believe, around that area, too. I'm trying to pull it up right now. 58% uh, as well, which I think both, yeah, both lead the league. And obviously, that's not everything. But when you're dominating play like that and you have the finishing talent that this uh, this Colorado Avalanche team does, it makes for a really, really dangerous team. But it's been really impressive to me how just – how much they've been able to control play, even with, you know, AHL guys, as you mentioned, coming in and out of their lineup all the time. Yeah. And some of those AHL guys have been, have been really good. Jacob McDonald's a defenseman that has been, he kind of came out of nowhere. He'd played two games a couple of years ago with the Florida Panthers and he has really kind of taken a hold of, of the sixth defenseman spot while, while these injuries are going on, at least maybe when Johnson, if Johnson's able to come back, they can, they can slide him in there and McDonald will go out. But like, for now, he's looked really good and been a really impressive player for them. Yeah, and uh, another name I wanted to bring up quickly, I, I wrote about him a couple of weeks ago, and it was just names like Kiefer Sherwood, where it's like I didn't expect anything out of Kiefer Sherwood going into the season, but, you know, it's not like he's been absolutely dominating or anything, but he comes in and plays five or six games and, and just posts some, like, really solid numbers for a fourth line player it's like it, it seems like that's the kind of production they're getting out of their depth and and that's going to be key going forward totally because I mean I think it's hard to 
ideally it's a team that'll be healthy going into the playoffs, but it's hard to, uh, I mean, if you go four rounds in the playoffs, there's going to be some times where you need to rely on players who aren't in your everyday lineup. And um, yeah, it's nice for them to know that they have guys like McDonald who can step in on defense when they need Dan Renuff, who's stepped in on defense. And then people like, like you mentioned, Kiefer Sherwood, Jason Magna, um, Logan O'Connor is probably beyond that tier. He's kind of played himself into the, into the lineup a little bit more, but yeah, it's, it's really a, helpful for them to have, I guess, some pieces that, that they can slide in in a pinch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chase, me and you were pretty high on this team going into the year, but, you know, compared to our expectations and just where they are now, you know, have they outperformed where you thought they might be perform right where you, how are you on this team, Chase? Well, so I wanted to ask Peter a question because they have, like you said, we both expected them to be good. I think everybody expected them to be really good, but they're like, the best five on five team in the league by a mile has, and they were good, but not like blowing teams out of the water in previous seasons. Has there been like a stylistic change or what's made the jump for them to this like new stratosphere of team? Well, I think they've made a couple additions that have helped. I think Devontae's from the Islanders, they traded for him kind of took advantage of, of the Islanders cap situation and got him for two second round picks, which looks like an absolute steal. He's been, I mean, by advanced metrics, he's been an elite defenseman, a top pairing guy that um, has been really good. And his, I did a story on him recently where I talked to his college coach and his college coach described him as a Corsi machine. He just makes like all the right decisions, keeps the puck in the zone. Um, so there's additions like that that have really helped. Um, and then also Brandon Saad that kind of solidified the top six. Um, you're, you're starting to see the third line really pick it up and keep the puck in the offensive zone. Valeri Nachushkin is, is one of the best four checkers in the league. He's, he's really good at that. Um, and I, I think that's all leading to like good five on five and possession numbers for, for the avalanche. Um, it's, it's definitely an interesting team because their penalty kill is one of the best in the league and their power play has maybe underperformed a little bit, but is still talent wise among the best in the league. So it's, it's kind of funny that they're not even winning the division right now. Um, and that kind of gets back to that start that they had where they were maybe not quite as dominant as, as expected. Yeah. And, and COVID COVID uh, didn't help them at all either this season. You know, I know a bunch of teams have, have dealt with that as well. So it's not the, the only excuse you can go, but uh, another thing that really just amazes me about this team is when you think about the really dangerous and good teams in the league and, you know, everyone models the franchise kind of after Tampa and especially now that they've won a cup, but also just obviously how dominant they've been over the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, you think you have that, that stud defenseman and headman on the blue line. Well, Colorado has at least one of those, you know, and, and Kale McCarr and then Samuel Gerrard, Devon Taves, they're both really nice additional pieces on, you know, a second pair, let alone even up first, they would be great first pair defensemen. One of those guys has to play a second pair at all time. Um, you think of up front, you know, you have the, the Braden points and the key to Kucherov. Well, Colorado obviously has Nathan McKinnon. They have Miko Ranton and Gabriel Landeskog. But in net is where I think people aren't quite as sold on the Colorado Avalanche. And this year, I think they really should be because Bill Grubauer has been one of the top goaltenders in the league. You know, goal saved above expect or above average. Sorry, he ranks in evolving hockey. He's ranked second, only behind Vasilevsky. Uh, goal saved above expected. He ranks fifth in the league. So, um, you know, he's been unreal this season really and it's one of those things where his injury history has always been a question but he stayed healthy and played 28 of the 33 games this year and if he can do that in the playoffs again this team should be right up there among the favorites to go all the way 
Yeah. And what first on the defense, I would argue Samuel Gerard has been more than an additional piece to Kael McCarr. He's there's some talk that he's in Norris contention. He's a guy who might be a team Canada guy to look at. He's been unbelievable. And especially with McCarr out, he really carried that defensive unit and Taves has been exceptional too. So like you said, there's the, they have three guys who could be the top defensemen on a lot of legit teams. Um, and it's, it's very, very impressive. Um, as for goaltending, I think you're right about Grubauer. I think he's been unbelievable this year. And maybe some of his injury history was overblown just because he was hurt a good bit last year. He actually had been relatively healthy before that. But coming out of last season, he did a lot of work to, to kind of make sure he's in, I guess, ready to play a full season. And they've needed him because the backup goalie situation has been a bit of a mess. Um, but he's he's been unbelievable and honestly it's probably I mean maybe not the Vesna front runner but probably the front runner to be the runner up to the Vesna right now with Vasilevsky winning um he's been he's right up there among the the top goalies in the league this season yeah absolutely and you know especially on the defense is a great thing I mean Chase and I did our midseason awards last uh, last week and um, I already forget who, where I had him, but I had Gerard top three in my Norris. I think he might've been third maybe on my Norris voting, but I said, if I had a ballot, he would be on it right now. He's been like, it's just, that's kind of the, the there's so many talking points with this team to me. It's just, it feels like, it's like, it's weird because Nathan McKinnon really isn't one of those talking points right now, even though he's still one of the best players in the league, you know, right up there in top three in the league. And there's just so much else going on with this team that I feel like, um, it, it's almost like the, yes, we know McKinnon's absolutely elite, but look at all this other stuff that's going on. Yeah. And I think with McKinnon, it's also like all his advanced numbers are really good and still say it's like him and McDavid as the top two players in the league, but he, he just hasn't maybe had as much luck with like some of the, the numbers that people see like scoring. Um, he, he's kind of, he's hit more posts than probably anyone on the avalanche this year he's he's gotten robbed a few times so he's been he's still nathan mckinnon there's there's no question that he's a force and will be in the playoffs chase do you want to do you have another question yeah you kind of touched on it and i think samuel gerard sort of reminds me his journey of like the avalanche of the whole because he was like good but not like uh, absolutely amazing at even strength. And then all of a sudden this year, it's like, boom, like you guys said, he's like a Norris. You could argue he Mets even gave him like a fifth place heart boat. I think something like that. Like he's just been amazing. What has it been with Samuel Gerard? Cause it kind of always looked like he had the tools, but he never really put it together into like a dominant five on five season until now. Yeah. I think some of it is just development. You know, he came into the league really young as a 19 year old, I think originally starting with Nashville and now he's, he's 22. And sometimes it takes defensemen a little bit of time to, to develop fully. And now you're seeing he's, he's shooting the puck more. That's been really effective. And defensively, he's really good. He's, and he's such a good skater that his entries in and out of the zone are are really, really good. Um, So I think kind of a combination of just maybe honing those skills that he already had and also just general development as he's gotten a little bit older. That makes sense. I always forget I always think of players like Sam Gerrard as older than they actually are because it feels like they've been in the league for forever by the time they're like 22 or 23. He and Kale McCarr are both 22, which is pretty wild. I, you would think there were, I literally would think there's like four years difference between him and Kale McCarr, which is just the most insane thing. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. They have a really, 
I mean, it's a really young team. Mika Rantanen is still only 24. Nathan McKinnon's 25. It's, it's pretty crazy. This, this core is still really young. And they already have like the playoff, like some playoff experience too. You know, like I feel like I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but um, you know, a lot of the time in hockey, one of the things is, well, oh, they've never been to the playoffs. They don't know what it feels like to lose. Well, this team does like they've made a, you know, not a huge run, but obviously even last year, they were a game away from going to the conference finals. And honestly, if it wasn't for Michael Hutchinson being in that, they probably would have had a very, very good chance of doing so. Um, but, you know, it's like this team already has a bunch of experience too. And it's like, oh yeah, there's like a very clear path where this team is just dominant for the next like seven years if they just handled the cap even somewhat correctly. And obviously you need a little bit of help with your, your player regression and they obviously not regressing when they get early thirties. But it's like, it's it's impressive that this team has been good now for a couple of years are really entering their prime, but it's like, Oh yeah, there's a very long runway where you could see this team just being dominant. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really well-built team. And you mentioned the cap and that's going to be, I think the biggest, biggest thing for this team going forward is managing the cap. Cause this summer there's going to have to make some tough decisions. Landis is going to be a, an unrestricted free agent. Makar is going to need to get paid and he's up due for a big raise. Um, cause it's his RFA year and then Grubauer will be a free agent and he's really skyrocketed his value, which is good for the abs because he's been playing well, but also bad for the abs because they're going to have to pay him more if they want to keep him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Chase and I have talked and let Chase talk on this a little bit too, but you know, we've discussed, and one of the things I've actually really admired from them is, um, their ability to try and balance going for it now with also realizing that they, this cap crunch was going to be incoming because, you know, they were one of the teams, I think two years ago in on Panera and they've been in on a couple big free agents up front, but um, their big sticking point was they didn't really want to commit too much cap space to be on this year. And even their, their moves this year, you, you mentioned Brandon saw it already. And I love that pickup. And what was even better is it's for a year, you know, he's, he, they're probably not going to be able to resign him this year just because of all the other cap crunch they have. But even if they don't, that's okay. You know, they, they traded, um, you know, Nikita Zadora for him, which it was really, they just did not need on the back end. And um, it just moves like that where I've been really impressed. And, you know, I think Chase and I, I'll let Chase again, talk to it here in a second, but we've kind of talked about, you know, not a lot of NHL teams always have that foresight to really look ahead. You see with the the predicament that Vancouver's in right now, and they're going to be in with having to pay Pedersen and Hughes coming up, but Colorado's done the exact opposite of that. And like they, they said this off season is the big one. And then we know going forward, it's going to be tighter from there on in. And they've done a great job of handling that. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting. I'll be curious if they're going to try and, and uh, re-sign Saad. I mean, he's been really important to the team and they might get some salaries off the books. They're going to get some other salaries off the books just from expiring contracts. And then maybe also the expansion draft, they might uh, lose a salary. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to keep him. Chase, do you want to go anywhere with that or no? Uh, yeah, I guess kind of leading into the next topic. So I agree, like their cap sheet looks it looks good. The McKinnon contract's going to save them in the long term because they finally have some big decisions to make this summer. But given how good of a situation they're in this year and that they might have to take a slight step back next year, at the deadline, do you just go for it this year? Or would you just say this team's been great and let them let this unit run it into the playoffs? Well, I don't think that they're necessarily going to take a step back next year. I think it's just a team that might look different because it, it, next year might be a big year that that looks that that development is the big question. Can Bo and Byram go to another level, and then suddenly you have another 
elite defensemen along with Taves, McCarr, Gerard. Um, can someone like Alex Newhook from Boston College come in and, and fill a top or a middle six role, for example? Like, so I don't think it's necessarily a team that's going to be taking a step back. I think it's just going to be one that will look different and we'll have to, I mean, they're going to lose someone to Seattle. They're going to lose some people to free agency probably, but also it'll still be an attractive destination for veterans who are maybe cup chasing a little bit. Um, I think that at the deadline, they've got to be careful because they don't want to add anyone who is, who is on contract beyond this year. Um, You've got, because of all the reasons of needing to pay people going forward. So it'll be interesting. I think they're also in just a really tight cap situation right now that they're going to need to really consider before making any move. Um, They have Pablo Franco, the backup goalie, um, has been out all year. Eric Johnson's been out most of the year. It's unclear if they're going to be able to come back this regular season. And that's going to kind of determine whether or not they can dip into those long-term injured reserve like salary cap funds um because if they can do that all of a sudden you have a bit more of an opportunity but the team is also playing really well right now I don't know if you want to mess with the forward group too much I mean they're the third line looks great the fourth line's playing really well and then the top six is obviously one of the best top sixes in hockey so I'm curious if maybe they can pick up a an extra defenseman um, and then backup goalie. But I don't see this as a team that is looking to make any ginormous moves, both because of the cap situation and because of how well they're playing. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's not really like they seem to have players who are playing at, if not above their role at basically every position. So I think they would run into really heavy diminishing returns if they started to add. Like if you put a first liner in Brandon Sod's spot or whatever, like it would maybe be, beneficial to have like Taylor Hall there instead of him but like not that beneficial they already have like very very competent players playing at every single position in the lineup basically and I mean and Brandon Saad fits really well with what that line does he's he's a really physical player um and he he can kind of get in front of the net and score goals that way so it's and just someone like Taylor Hall is so expensive that I don't think that they'd be able to make that work unless Buffalo took like the entire salary they'd also have to take a contract back too right like they're like they're really up again and like so many teams are it's not like this is an avalanche only problem but like right now they have projected one just over one million dollars in cap space and um you know you would assume any player in probably has a player out of some kind coming back so you could probably make it work but yeah with a a salary like taylor hall it would just be so hard to try and fit under the cap and like it might be doable but then when you combine all the factors we just talked about where it's like there's not like if you, if you don't obviously you wouldn't be unloading someone from your top six there's a non-zero chance Taylor Hall's playing on like your third line and like it's fun to have an embarrassment of riches like that but it's almost like are you getting enough value out of that and um, you, you touched on it already before but I, uh, backup goalies where I really want to see them go out to dress uh, you know maybe Francis can come back and that would be nice but you know just he's been dealing with an injury all year long and they went and picked up uh uh, Jonas Johansson from the Buffalo Sabres, but I'm not really sold that should be a long-term option as even their number three. If uh, Francis is even a little bit questionable to go in the playoffs, because uh, 
Listen, I, I think that, you know, goaltending's wild enough that, you know, anyone can kind of turn it around. But I saw multiple people who cover the Sabres call uh, Johansson the worst goalie they've ever covered in their professional hockey career. And when people are willing to be that blunt, it's a little aggressive. So I would like to see them maybe go out and acquire a backup goaltender, even if it's like a name like, you know, Jonathan Bernier, someone who's a UFA in Detroit. And um, he's silently having a really solid year. And I think he could be like someone that you could get as just an insurance. And if he ends up being your number three to end of the year, so be it. Oh, he's totally a potential fit. It's just, you run into the same question of, can they make it work salary cap wise? And do you really want to move a contract um, of a forward that's playing well for you to get a backup goalie that if things go well, probably won't even play. Um, so it, it's a tough question. And that's why I think what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to assess before April 12th. They're going to have to really see is Pavel Franco going to be able to play this year? Because if he is, then you can't use his cap room um, to, to add someone else because then you're not cap compliant if he comes back by the end of the regular season and is ready to play and you've added another goalie that's making similar money. Um, so I think that's something the abs are internally discussing is, is they're, they'll kind of, I think, figure that out as they get closer, whether or not they think Francis can play this year um, and whether or not they can use that cap money um, for someone like Bernier, someone like Devin Dubnik. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, those are kind of the, I think the decisions they're going to have to make. And I think if you're looking at moves that Avalanche are going to make, it'll be tangential moves around the edges. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the, the, the nice thing about, say, a Bernier versus, uh, you know, Taylor Hall or someone, and obviously they're not equitable at all, but, um, you know, Jonathan Bernier, um, they, they probably still have to make a move, and it's, it's all going to depend on if the guys are coming back, as you said, but he at least makes $3 million. So then you can get to the point where it's like, if uh, Detroit's retaining half, it's down to 1.5. It's like, okay, well, there's at least a path forward to where you can fit this under this cap, where it's like, I feel like a lot of people are just naturally going to be like, oh, they should go big fish hunting. It's like, they're not going to be able to do that in an effective way at all. Like, that's just not a realistic thing to expect. And again, I, I don't think that's a bad thing because this team has been the best team of the year, in my opinion, and should be top two or three favorites to win the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a fair assessment. I think it's Tampa's probably one right now. And then I kind of had the, in looking at the abs in Vegas in a similar similar tier. Yeah, I think that's where I would be too. Uh, Chase, is that kind of where you're looking right now? Or is there another team that you think could be, you know, sneaky dangerous to the, the cup chances? It's hard to write off Tampa as like this top contender, but I see the avalanche with a lot of like 2012 LA Kings vibes where the standings sort of undersell just how good they are. And I think they're the second cup favorites in my opinion by like a decent margin too. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think it's it's tough that only one of Vegas and Colorado can come out of the West because those are two really good hockey teams. And I'll be curious to see. It seems like we're headed for a playoff series of those two teams, and that could be really fun. Yeah, I could see this thing where, say you have like Dom, I don't know how to pronounce his last name's model, where it's like, the Leafs are like a much worse team on true talent. Like if the Leafs were playing the abs, the abs would be heavily favored, but the Leafs might actually end up with higher cup odds. Now that you say that, because their road to the division is or to get out of their own division is so much easier. Totally. Exactly. It's the, the Metro from a couple of years in the Atlantic from last year conundrum where it's like, 
this division because it's not like three and four complete slouches in this division either. The Wild are, I don't think they're near as good as the Avalanche or Golden Knights, but they're showing they're a legitimately good team this year. And, you know, the Blues have underperformed like crazy, but I'm not, you know, I don't, I wouldn't be thrilled about facing the Blues in a seven game series either. So there's a very good chance that one of these Golden Knights are the Golden Knights of the Avalanche, they make it to the conference finals, but they've had to go through both the Wild or Blues and then the other one of each other. And that's just going to be, you know, anywhere from probably 12 to 14 games of absolute hell for these two teams where it's like none of those games are going to be easy to come by. And then, yeah, you, you get to a division where it's like, um, you know, I, I like the lightning and the hurricanes in their division and, you know, the Panthers aren't bad, but like the lightning are probably going to get to beat up on one of the predators, Blackhawks jackets, or maybe stars. And it's like, they just naturally are going to have an easier path. And, and that's why I think you're definitely right with the, um, the, the cup odds where it's like, I think the Avalanche are at least uh, probably number two in true talent, but there's a good chance that, you know, the models have them closer to third or fourth or maybe even fifth for um, Stanley Cup odds just because of how tough their road could be. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's going to be interesting, but I mean, there'll be some teams I'm sure that'll surprise us in the playoffs and it's not going to go as we expect. So it'll be, that's kind of one of those things that we'll just, we'll see when we get there, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chase, do you have anything else? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I do either. Um, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Baugh, B-A-U-G-H is how you spell my last name. And then just go to The Athletic and click on the Avalanche team page, and I, I should have plenty of stuff up there. Yeah, I can't recommend enough. I love reading your stuff and, you know, keep up the great work. And thank you so much for joining us. So, you know, we'll have to have you back on the podcast, you know, hopefully later in the playoffs when the Avalanche are making a run here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Huge thanks to Peter for joining us today. I'll tag his uh, Twitter in the, the tweet that goes out with his podcast. So go make sure you give him a follow and check out his work, especially if you have The Athletic. Uh, it's great stuff, as always. Um, yeah, so thank you for him uh, to, for joining us. That was a lot of fun. If there's anyone else you want to hear on the podcast, uh, give Chase or I a shout. You know, we're, again, I mentioned, I think, most weeks, but we're always looking for names and ideas. And I, I know we've gotten a couple. We're, we're working on some stuff right now, too. So, um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh as always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I'm going to try and get a couple more pieces out uh, this week. I was really busy with school and couldn't get much out. You can also find my work at milehighhockey.com, where I'm uh, covering the Colorado Avalanche, uh, the team we just talked about. I'm going to have a piece on why I think Ryan Dezingle could be an okay fit. You know, we talked about the trade deadline here. Um, I'm going to take a look at why, you know, maybe they could add a depth forward and be okay, you know, not not necessarily in the top six. So, uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.